Hello, welcome to the film file, episode 46. The film show, of course, for film geeks, of course, by film geeks. Hi, we're back and we are still locked down, but only apparently for another week. And then we uh, drift into I Am Legend territory from what I'm, I believe. It's, it's very bizarre as to what's going to be happening because we know that the tiers are going to be changing somewhat, but we don't know the full details and we don't know how and we don't know what places and what tiers until this Thursday. Tears hey, of a welcome clown. to the UK. So, uh, of course, I'm Lee Ford and as ever, I'm joined by... Andy Beacon. And we are... No, we're not. And we're going to give you another action-packed and yet informative show where we will be giving you all the things in the news. We'll be reviewing what we've seen across the streaming platforms. And Andy will be giving me his thoughts on George Clooney's Michael Clayton. But before all that, this is a point in the program where we say what's happening in the news. And there's only one man who knows. He can't make it today, but we've got Andy Meeker. <laughs> Couldn't help myself there. An old gag, but a good gag. <laughs> There's a reason why the old gags get regurgitated. Yes, they're still good. Yes, they're still good. How are we doing, Andy? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, I've been spending the week playing on the PlayStation, as you can imagine. Boom. Yes. Uh, Andy, <laughs> if you didn't know, posted on our Twitter feed uh, some pictures of a very sexy-looking PlayStation 5, and um, it looks amazing. And a quick review, uh, just give me a quick rundown on what to look forward to with the PlayStation 5. Um, I mean, I've only got one particular get PlayStation 5 exclusive game, which is Bug Snacks, which I got for free, which plays quite well. But I've been enjoying playing some of the PS4 games that I had that have had PlayStation 5 makeovers. So uh, Borderlands 3, so well polished on the PS5. The games load faster and they seem to make better use of like the graphics engine and so on. And one game that I've mentioned before, No Man's Sky, which I would keep getting addicted to, I'm addicted to again, because the PS5 enhanced version of it is absolutely lush. And I can't believe I just used the word lush, but I've just <laughs> used it, and I'm going to stick with it now. Um, it's, a, it's a great console. It's so quiet. It's so powerful. There's still the restriction on the amount of space that the hard drive has. Eventually, they're going to let you know what hard drives you can buy to insert to boost the space. But in the time being, that's fine. I only play one game at a time, so I'm happy with only having a few downloaded at a time. Great little console. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. I, uh, it's funny. I, I played a game back on the PS3 that I'd not not touched for some years, and uh, I remember when it came out. This one particular game um, for those of you, it was Alien Isolation, which I which I loved, uh, and played it on the PS3 and thought, wow, the graphics are great. And then, of course, you jump forward to the PS4, and and you think, my goodness, the graphics are great. And then you go back and replay <laughs> something, and you think, man, they're a bit pony now. We how far we've moved on. Can you see that with the uh, PlayStation 5 then? Can you see how graphics have, have, uh, um, uh, have changed, have, have moved on, are more stylized, whatever? On the surface level, it's not as obvious, but it's the it's the extra enhancements. It's like the way that the light reflects off water and things like that. that it, all those little subtle touches, because I think we've got to a stage now with the actual general graphics that they've gone to uh, like such a realistic degree anyway. That it's just the extra enhancements of smoke effects, lighting, weather environments, etc., that they can layer into it. However, I say that now, we're only on week one of the PlayStation 5 arriving. 
give it three more years and then we'll see what they're churning out then and compare it to the PS4. And I reckon we will see a difference by that point. Yeah, when I finally get one, looking forward to the Miles Morales game. Oh, yeah, that, I'm going to be picking that up at some point. Anyway, let's uh, roll let's out Let's move on news. with the news. Yeah, what have you got for us, Andy? What's happening out there in the cyber world and in our, that's going to be affecting our local cinema in some way? So, City World and Regal Cinemas, who we've mentioned quite a few times about their financial difficulties and the threat of bankruptcy that was hovering over them. They have managed to secure a new debt facility of $450 million, which will help them with some extra support and liquidity for the short term while their venues are closed. In a nutshell, this bailout will help the chain stay alive whilst the theatres are closed until round about May 2021 at the latest. Well, with a bit of look, uh, the things that we're hearing about the vaccine and the promise of, uh, of a, well, it feels like a new start, doesn't it? Like a bit of a do-over. We should be back into theatre around April and May on uh, mass. And and there's, if you're in the UK, you'll have noticed there's been a, a, another revelation about a, a a new vaccine, and with the hope that they can start at the end of the year, the end of December. So you know it's it's looking promising, and it just feels like if we can just keep us heads down and and, and have this moment and and not do anything silly. Uh, we can we can make it through, make it through into early next year and um, hopefully get back into the world again, including getting back into cinemas, of course. According to financial reports, the Cineworld chain currently burns $60 million per month just being closed uh, through all its previous debts and all its uh, overheads that it has to still pay. If they can keep going at this basis on the short term until May, I, I have no reason to suspect that unless COVID-19 becomes COVID-2021 20, and 22, um, that this, the industry won't be finding its feet again. So it is good news to see that they've managed to get themselves something to keep them going in the short term. If it gets towards May next year and places still aren't opening, obviously they'll have to look at restructuring in some way. But at this point in time, it's looking quite positive for the industry. And as we've said before, you know, one goes down... There's, there's that that threat of a of a domino effect, which we we all want to avoid, yeah. and we don't want basically one of the biggest chains worldwide to go under. At the same time, it is sad to report that 700 theaters in the US closed down over this past week uh, because of various lockdowns, because of coronavirus spiking out of control in the states, which takes the total of cinemas closed in the US over twenty over two thousand one hundred which is 40% of the market in the, in the US. doesn't bode well for the strong Christmas box office, which leads nicely into the reason why Wonder Woman 84 is getting a split release. Which we talked about on this very programme a few, uh, well, over the last few weeks, that we thought this would happen. Yes. Um, December the 25th is, was the release date for Wonder Woman 84 at the theatres, and it still is. However, it's going to... Video on demand via HBO Max on the same date so that any cinemas that are able to show it in the US can show it. And those who can't get to a cinema to see it or don't feel safe or comfortable going to a cinema to see it can subscribe to HBO Max and get to see it there. Internationally, there's even better news. Which is? Everyone gets it on the 16th of December. And that's because we don't have HBO Max internationally. And rather than risking people being able to get dodgy illegal rips offline online warners have gone okay everyone else in the world gets it a week early fantastic. fantastic that's a really smart idea and it's good to see that warners have really they've really 
kept the flag flying, haven't they, for for cinema releases where others have sort of let us down a little bit. I mean, yeah, there was a mo- there was a time when Warner's like had backpedaled on quite a lot of releases after Tenet came out, and it was a bit, you know, upsetting to see. But we've mentioned a few times over the past few weeks that. It, you have to give them credit that they were the ones who were first out the gate. And it, we, we were unsure whether they were going to stick with Wonder Woman 84 because why would they take the risk again? However, all of this decision comes literally a week and a half after Christopher Nolan had done his statement about the lessons were learnt wrong that we covered last episode, um, where he suggested that Tenet performed well internationally. It was in the US that he struggled. And that's what they should, they should have learned from it, that internationally things work. And that's what they've clearly paid attention to. Warners are treating the international market as a separate market. They're letting us get the Excellent. cinematic release a week early, and then it can go to streaming on the American market. Great news. It's, it's really good news for those of us who work within the industry in the UK, because we now know that, yes, we are going to be opening, ne- hopefully by the end of next week, on the run-up to Wonder Woman 84 coming up, and we've got a good Christmas to look forward to. Brilliant. Well, you know what, Andy? I'll be in the cinema with you. And we'll be probably reviewing it on this show. Oh, I can't wait. I can't yeah. wait. I'm looking forward to the film anyway, but I can't wait to be back in the cinema environment. Um, on the flip side, you've got Disney reporting that they're reportedly going to be pushing a few of their films straight to Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I read about this. And I, you know, as soon as I read about it, Andy, I thought about you. Yeah. Um, once again, they're ignoring the cinemas. All of these films were intended for cinematic market. But now, because they really want to make Disney Plus a big thing, and you have to be honest, after its initial start, when everyone went, wow, look at all the content on Disney Plus, there's not a lot of content on Disney Plus. No, you're right. There's no new stuff that comes out each month. It's severely lacking. When you look at Netflix every week, they have like three new series and two or three movies and then some old films come in into the rotation. Yet Disney, it's like one a month. You get one film a month or maybe one TV series a month. That's not enough for a streaming service. And and to tie into that, it's quite interesting because I, I was looking at this earlier when we were doing the research for the show uh, because there's still a question mark as to the release to a WandaVision. Um, originally, it was talked about coming out in in, um, in November, yep. just after Thanksgiving in the States. And now it looks like early January from all indications, even though there's not a specific date, but the rumour has it that it's going to be January 2021. So... The, the trend I see with Disney is they've a tendency to release one big thing at a time uh, as rather than opposed to a Netflix where they, they're constantly releasing new stuff. So you've got The Mandalorian was the big, big release. And, and as you know, they're pushing that out weekly. Yeah. And then over December, you've got, uh, you've got Pixar Soul. And then that kind of makes sense if it's, uh, if it's WandaVision. I've not touched Disney Plus, which at the height of lockdown was probably on every day, but I've not touched it other than uh, for Mandalorian and before that when they premiered onwards. Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty much the same. The, the app is still there on my TV and I'm, I'm watching Netflix and Amazon a lot more because there's a lot yeah. more content on a regular basis. I mean, even when we do our rundown of things that are coming out on streaming each week, it's very rare that we mention a Disney thing because there's very rarely anything new Disney. Yeah. Um, yet the three films that they're going to be reportedly pushing straight to Disney Plus to try to entice people to stick with them. Uh, there's Cruella, which is the Cruella Deville origin story with Emma Stone and Emma Thompson and directed by Bob Zemeckis. You've got the Tom Hanks-led Pinocchio film. And also Peter Pan and Wendy that we've mentioned a few times on this show. 
And I was quite intrigued with the prospect of a new live action Peter Pan. But all going to Disney Plus and, uh, you know, my feelings on Disney Plus anyway. So let's move I do. on. I believe you've got some news about a time travel film that's in the pipeline. Well, you know me and a good time travel film, I'm always drawn. Uh, Synchronic is a mind-blowing time travel movie starring Anthony Mackie and James Dornan, who you remember from the Fifty Shades movie, as cops on the trail of a time-altering drug sweeping the streets of New Orleans, sending Mackie's character down a decidedly non-linear rabbit hole. That's brought to us by Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who gave us the... 2017 time looping cult hit The Endless, which I didn't see. Did you? I didn't get to see that, which uh, it's rare for me to not see a time travel film because I do have a, the similar kind of love for time travel as you have. I love to see how they manipulate things and I'm willing to suspend disbelief on quite a few things as long as it has fun doing it and sticks with its own consistency. Yeah, we like Anthony Mackie. Um, and still no word on Falcon and Winter Soldier but it has gone back into some reshoots. And uh, again, that could be due any day now. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, Jessica Chastin, here's my bit of news. The spy thriller, The 355, has now been pushed back to 2022. Um, I don't think people were holding the breath for this one, but I, I do like Jessica Chastin. I think she's a fantastic screen presence. I, I know very little about this one. I know we mentioned it way back a few months ago, but that's now... 2022 so i doubt we'll be talking about it until then yeah i mean that isn't that like a whole year that it's moved from its initial release date which seems to be the common trend at the moment that everything's getting put back a year which makes sense because everything's looking quite full for next year uh brad pitt's bullet train is padding out the cast even more Uh, and they're all first class passengers by the looks of things yeah um (laughs) <laughs> a whole load the story which is based on the novel about competing assassins on a high-speed train had already got aaron taylor johnson andrew koji joey king brian tyree henry zazie beats and masioka has now scored lady gaga and michael shannon to complement the cast uh, david leach Why? is directing the film and this is one that i'm really looking forward to i mean it, that's a good yeah, pedigree it's a good pedigree of a director and it's a great lineup of cast. And I love the whole thing of a high speed bullet train that assassins are competing against each other before it gets to the next station. You've got tension, you've got claustrophobia, you've got action, you've got Brad Pitt. What more do you need in life? A bullet train. Oh, no, probably a, a new Predator movie. <laughs> do we need another Predator movie? Well, you know what? I didn't see the Shane Black one and I'm a massive Shane Black fan. Oh. And uh, I heard so many disappointing things that it felt as though from from what i read and and you're going to tell me that you've seen it is that it it was just recut by the studio would that be right in thinking yes it was a it was a mess of a film it was a hack job uh you could see clearly where it was trying to go and where it got changed and yeah it's not like 20th century fox didn't have history of doing this for different directors it doesn't feel like a shane black film and even he's kind of stepped away from it and has kind of forgotten that it took place because I, I, I recall reading somewhere that he'd said that he didn't have full say and full control over it. And that's what let the film down. You know, if you're going to hire somebody like Shane Black, who, who to me is one of the best action screenwriters, more so than director, but as a screenwriter, yeah. uh, and I, as I, said, I adore his work, then you're going to let Shane Black do his thing. I mean, he could even do his thing when he did it in Iron Man 3. It did feel like a Shane Black movie. Yeah. 
But we are going to get a new Predator movie. And this is interesting because I like this director's work. Uh, Dan Trachenberg, who did uh, Tank, Tank Cloverfield Range. Yeah, it was superb, yeah. wasn't it? I, I think you and I saw that. Yeah, I, I think we we both saw that at the same time, and I, yeah. I, it got a lot of flack because it was it wasn't the same as Cloverfield, and people missed the point. But I thought yeah. it had tension, it had character, it had drama, it had thrills, and it had dark humor. Yeah, I thought it was superb. So he is directing, um, and apparently a new Predator movie. Not much uh, known about it at this stage, but looking forward to that one. Hopefully, without Twentieth Century Fox of old guard being in place that Dan Trachtenberg will be allowed to do his job and not have the end product edited out of hand. Hopefully we're past that now that Disney own them and it won't get released under the Disney brand clearly because it's not Disney profile. This is a 20th century studios film. Yeah. Two other people who I've got a lot of time for Phil Lord and Chris Miller. Yes. Who brought us 21 jump street with a driving force behind into the spider verse. Uh, They nearly, directed solo or partly directed solo what have they got going on they've got channing tatum <laughs> which is a return to uh, 21 jump yes uh, they're, they're teamed up with channing tatum for a modern day comic thriller inspired by a universal monster so which monster or monsters are going to be no- used is unknown at present it's unlikely to be invisible man because we've already got an invisible man kind of yeah. franchise about to start it's unlikely to be wolfman because there's already a Wolfman yeah. film in the pipeline. The mummy is possibly damaged goods, so they probably want to, wouldn't want to touch that. So maybe maybe we'll be seeing a comical Phantom of the Opera or Creature from the Black Lagoon being played. Who knows? But it's basically they've got the rights to a universal monster to do a comic thriller set in the modern day. Okay. I'm well up yeah. for it. I uh, love their storytelling style. And Channing Tatum. I mean, who'd have thought Channing Tatum would be so good at comedy? Yeah, well, it's again, it's certain. Studios try and push, especially sort of good-looking leading men into action movies. And sometimes that fit doesn't work. And it never fit for me for, for Channing Tatum. Um, G.I. Joe was 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 disappointing at best. And it just felt, he didn't feel right for it. But you've seen it something like 21 Jump Street, and you think that's the perfect fit for him. Yep. So that's one to keep, we're going to be keeping an eye on. And I'm going to be keeping a close eye on it because... A lot of good names in there, and I'm interested to see what monster they go for. I do like the Universal Monsters. Yeah, don't we just? Uh, another monster. Um, well, he's not really a monster. He's just a bit disfigured. Deadpool is going to be coming back. Which was inevitable. Everybody crying about the fact that uh, Disney's ownership of Fox would mean Deadpool will get watered down and it won't be R-rated anymore. But apparently... That's not so. Yeah, I mean, I don't get why people were saying like, oh, they're going to tone it down. It's got to be kiddie friendly, but it will be R-rated because the rest of the X-Men films were 12 A's. Yet yep. Deadpool was still set kind of within the X-Men universe, but was allowed to be R-rated. So why do people think that they weren't going to continue in that vein? Yes, he can now have tenuous links to the MCU. They can actually bring him into the MCU and play him, ca- play him softer within the MCU. But in his own films, let him be an R-rated film. The same way because that Logan, that's what we want Deadpool, isn't it? Logan was an R-rated film that was within the X-Men universe. You've allowed to balance both. So, Deadpool three, whispers of movement have been happening. And have you heard who the writing team have been drawn from? I know that the writers are Wendy Molinay, Lizzie Molinay, Loglin, and didn't they write 
Bob's Burgers. Yep, they're the duo behind Bob's Burgers. So they're on board to pen the script. If anyone's seen Bob's Burgers, you know what kind of levity to expect going forward. And I think it's the right choice. I've not seen Bob's Burgers, so... uh... (laughs) I'm intrigued just to see what they'll bring to it. But yeah, it's going to be uh, and still an adult take on Deadpool. It's one of those uh, franchises where it's not only built around a star, but the star with this is the guiding force on it. Yes. Because if it wasn't for your uh, for your man crush, Ryan Reynolds, <laughs> um, this franchise wouldn't have happened in the first place. Do you reckon he's going to have a football match take place halfway through the film? Yeah, I'm still, I'm still getting over that news from last week. <laughs> uh, Ari Aster, another person who I always keep a focus on, who gave us Hereditary in Midsummer, and oh, what beautiful films they were. Hauntingly, chillingly, supernaturally weird. Um, his next film, Bo is Afraid, is looking at securing Joaquin Phoenix for the lead. I think that's, that's a good fit, and uh, it's good to see Joaquin Phoenix back on the big screen, especially after the success of Joker. Okay, I have uh, some Marvel news. And Rihanna, the popular popstress, can I say that? Oh, I just did. I'll stay with it. <laughs> uh, apparently has not been signed to star in Black Panther 2. There was a rumour going round, which I only heard of today. Um, I'm not interested either way. If she can bring something to the party, fantastic. If not, I don't mind if she's not in it or if she is. But uh, apparently she's not in Black Panther 2. However, Black Panther 2 is about to start... Uh, pre-production for a July filming date. Yeah, um, that, that this is one thing that we mentioned a few episodes ago, where Disney are basically uh, they're, they're stacking up all their projects now. That once one thing stops running, the next one starts. So it was only a matter of time before Black Panther would get put into the mix. We still don't know the direction that the story is going to go in. We don't still don't know how they're going to be approaching it. But I'm I'm interested to see. What happens with it? And I'm still pleased that they're moving ahead with it and, and, and didn't feel that they had to uh, abandon the uh, uh, the franchise because it was such a fantastic first film. I mean, I don't think they, w- they would have or they should have. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would have been good for his legacy if they had just abandoned the whole character and everything to do with Wakanda. I don't think that's what he would have wanted. Yeah. And as we said, it's, it's an enviable position because whatever they do is going to upset some amount of fans, whether they go down, you know, as a Shuri as Black Panther or yeah. bringing a new Black Panther, no one's going to be happy. So, you know, bless them for trying their hardest and bringing something new and it's still in good hands. And last little bits of bullet news. So Freaky, which has topped the US box office for the past two weeks, is the first film that is going to use the quick move to premium video on demand option. And it's going to release on the home rental market in the US from December the 4th. Hopefully this won't impact on the UK cinema plans, which are for the back end of December. Scream 5 is going to be called. Uh, is it just going to be called Scream? They kind of do that once they get to a certain point in sequels, I've noticed. And then they just sort of go back to and revert to the original original title. While some fans have been saying this is ridiculous, why not call it Scream with a 5 for the S or having the 5 in the middle or anything like that? It's like... Well, the thing is, if they had us called it Scream 5, then there's all the new generation who didn't grow up with Scream who will go, eh, I've not seen the other four, I'm not bothered. By starting it with its own name as Scream, it can basically reboot it whilst being a sequel. Halloween did it and did it successfully, so why not? You can't argue with that. And Coming to America 2 is coming to Amazon on March the 5th, and that'll be internationally, worldwide, same day, 
drop on there. And that's what we call the news. If you're enjoying what you've heard so far, keep listening. But also remember to hit that subscribe button if you already haven't. And please leave us a review because we put our heart and soul into it. And, and we, we just want to hear good things. If you want to put something negative, we, we don't really want to do that. But it's your prerogative. But please subscribe. You can also uh, interact with us via Twitter, where you can find us on. At Filmfile UK. And of course, now we're on Instagram because all the cool kids are. Okay, so for the last couple of weeks, uh, Andy has been trawling through a section of classic films that he has missed over the last few years. Oscar winners that probably is a surprise to most people that he's avoided some of these absolute classics. I think that's fair. <laughs> I think it's fair. I mean, we've all done it. There's a couple. You know what? I, I, I actually realised a few years ago that I'd not seen The Godfather 2 as a sequel. I mean, I saw it as... Remember when they released it as a TV episode? Yeah. And I saw The Godfather 2 in, in its sort of linear form, but I'd never seen The Godfather 2 in its, uh, in its entirety, even though I can claim that I'd seen it. Anyway, <laughs> I digress. Um, last week I set uh, Andy the mission to go and watch 2007's American legal thriller, written and directed by Tony Gilroy, starred George Clooney, Tom Wilkinson, Tilda Swinton, and Sidney Pollack. And that film is Michael Clayton. I didn't want to say exactly what it was. Just that it was something that would win the whole case. I'm not the enemy. Then who are you? You got all these cops thinking you're a lawyer. Then you got all these lawyers thinking you're some kind of cop. You got everybody fooled, don't you? You know exactly what you want. You got to saddle up here, Michael, and get things under control. What if Arthur was on to something? Do you know Michael Clayton? We have a situation. Stay in the car, lock the door. What would they do if he went public? Arthur, open the door. What would they do? They're doing it. Freeze! Who called it in? Does that make sense to you, this happening It's like never that? happened. Get out. Get out of the car now. I'm not the guy that you kill. I'm the guy that you buy. Are you so blind you don't even see what I am? Do I look like I'm negotiating? The film chronicles the attempts by attorney Michael Clayton to cope with a colleague's apparent mental breakdown and the corruption and intrigue surrounding a major client for his law firm being sued in a class action over the effects of toxic waste. Released in October 2005, the film grossed $93 million worldwide, and it was praised for Gilroy's direction and the performance and the screenplay. And Swinton's performance was particularly lauded. It was nominated for seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, as well as Actor for Clooney, Supporting Actor for Wilkinson, and Best Supporting Actress for Swinton, in which she won. So, Andy, I gave a lot of praise to Michael Clayton uh, at the end of last week's show, but you tell me uh, what you thought to it. So many times when someone's performance gets so critically lauded and scoops awards here, there and everywhere, Oscars, BAFTAs, everything, you wonder, is it really worthy of so much praise? And so approaching this, knowing that Tilda Swinton was basically the darling of supporting actresses for this year, I was like, well, she's normally good anyway, but how good can she be? Isn't she absolutely marvellous in this? She's an absolute monster. I mean, she's in, in a the tour de force. 
She's, it, she plays every end of the emotional spectrum brilliantly as, she, as her life is crumbling around her because she's uh, trying to cover up quite a lot that's going on in this film. Uh, yes, I like this film. Good. I, I thought you I, would. I, <laughs> I, had, I had money on it that you, that you would. Yeah, um, Clooney as a fixer, which I've come to the conclusion is a term that basically is someone who steps outside the law to reign in situations regardless of what occupation it is. It's interesting because this film for me became more uh, became more real subsequently with uh, Trump's fixer, uh, Michael Cohen. Yep. Uh, and it, it, it shone a light back onto this because it was a world that I knew nothing about and, and didn't understand. But seeing it, seeing it played out in in recent history has has, has given this much more a much more weight to this film, which is which is a magnificent film at the best of times. Yeah, and I, I love the way that the story starts off with the intrigue as like he gets called away from a poker table uh, to go and help out a client, and then leaving that after he's clearly not having a good day for some reason, and you don't know why. He then stops to look at the horses, then his car blows up, and you're like what am I watching? And then it's four days earlier. And then it starts to slowly piece everything together. And then you start to get the context of all the bits that you saw in that opening five minutes played out. And Clooney is on solid form. He He's charming, yet silently threatening. And it's a role that sits well with him. This is the kind of role that he really, he makes his own. I think he's, I think he's very underrated, Clooney. I think he's always solid. Sometimes he's flashy. Usually he's he's slightly underplayed, and he's, he's there's there's a Clooney performance lots of time. You know the ticks and and the the way he hangs his head is and, and his delivery is very George Clooney. In this, as you said, I think it works perfectly. Uh, and it was disappointed that he didn't get Best Actor. I, I can't remember what did get Best Actor that particular year, but I, I think he was superb. I mean, there are some performances. Which are are so deservedly of of, uh, of of nomination and awards, but but there's something about this role. It's such an internal role, unlike something like Oh Brother, Where Out Thou, which was showy and flashy and fun and, and and fantastically well played. But but this is such an internal role, and and, and Clooney does it fantastically. Originally, Denzel Washington was up for the part, and apparently always regrets that he turned it down. Yeah, I'd read that. And you can kind of see that Washington would have been another good choice for this kind of role. He plays similar kind of characters. Yeah, it's that earthy quality that that um, both actors have, have got about them, that sort of sense of realism. It's it's not an easy watch. It's not an easy thriller, is it, in, by any stretch of the imagination? No. He, Clooney can, can smolder with internal internal emotion that you can see everything that it's going through his head just by his face. And this is where he kind of shines. But yeah, it's, it's, it's not a comfortable watch for a lot of it. It's rapidly paced and it's sharp, sharply scripted. Tony, Tony Gilroy's script has no chaff on it. It literally just rattles along and you, ha- you have to keep up and you have to just accept the events that are playing out in front of you. It's not necessarily a happy story. No. Um, and everyone is a piece of shit in it. Yeah. Uh, but everyone's so great. Tom Wilkinson. Yeah, who's just magnificent in it. Uh, Sidney Pollack's in there, but I th- I'm going to come back to Swinton. It, she just takes every scene away from everyone around her. 
She is absolutely spectacular. Uh, you said that Clooney like was up for the award for leading role and he didn't get it. He was up against Daniel Day-Lewis, who got it for There Will Be Blood. So I'll kind of understand yeah, well, that. Yeah, it's a pass on that one. I think if uh, There Will Be Blood hadn't come out the same year, I think this film would have scored a lot better across the board because it had nominations in all the major categories. I, I intend to go back and re-watch again because when you see the pieces start to get put together to tie up to where the film started, it's one of those that you want to go back and re-watch it to get the context a bit better. I, I absolutely agree. I think it's one of those thrillers which takes you back to the plausible thriller. And, and, yes. and, and I mean that when you think of something that's more high octane, this this is realistic. These are characters who exist in a very, very real world. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's wonderfully scripted, incredibly sharp. Um, as you said, faultlessly acted. It's just an, an excellent, excellent thriller, the way that they should be. There's a, a sense for me, which I, I think I engage with it, the sense of 70s throwback to it. Yeah. And I'm a huge fan of that, that 70s genre of thriller. And um, it's also, it's one of those films that, that is morally dubious as well. And it's not necessarily an easy watch, but it's always an entertaining watch. Yes. So I, 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 two thumbs fresh from me with uh, this film. This was a good pick and uh, so glad I've got around to watching it and ticked off another one of the many films from the list. <laughs> well, we'll tick <laughs> off another one now when we look at the year 1968. So 1968 is the year I've chosen and that was a, wow, an impressive year. So uh, there's a lot that I know you have seen, but we're going to go with Guess Who's Coming to Dinner starring Sidney Poitier. I'm not going to say much about it. I liked it. Andy, over to you. Let us know what you think of uh, of this film next week. It's genuinely the only film with nominations in the major categories for that year that I've not seen. This is I a know, year so of the Oscars films. that have done so well with um, getting all the films watched. So this is going to make me feel so proud that 68 is almost complete. <laughs> Because Andy and I have not been able to get into the cinemas, we've been watching all the streaming platforms to bring you the latest reviews and offerings which we think will entertain you. Andy, you go first with your choices. So uh, my main review to focus on this week is Military Wives. Which is a film that I didn't fancy at all in any, any yep. stretch of the imagination. Exactly the same. Um, I mean, this was a film that came out in early March and so it suffered from the pandemic lockdown and it didn't get a chance to gain the momentum that it probably would have got this would have been one of those films that would have done well at the cinema in the weekday afternoon slots with that kind of market and that's the market that i thought it was aimed for and i thought well i'm never going to like this film are you going to be okay when i'm gone more troops are being deployed to afghanistan i just feel sick all the time how do you cope they need something that brings them together. Like singing. Top Brass, heard you rehearsing. You've been invited to sing at the Festival of Remembrance. The big one, on TV. I know it feels a bit much, but if we can survive the last five months, we can survive five minutes out there. Military wives. It sounded trite, it sounded stereotypical, and it sounded bland. But it, what it ended up doing was hit me right in the feels on multiple occasions. And there was clearly some dust around that got in my eye or something on a few times <laughs> because uh, there's no way that I, I'd let something like this reduce me to tears. 
maybe it's the fact that I put myself through a really bad film earlier in the day. But this story of a group of women whose partners are sent off to serve, serve in Afghanistan, who search for a group activity to keep them going and settle on singing as a choir, despite the very limited musical ability many of them have, really worked for me. Really? Because I, I thought it... I thought it had that that feel of because it's based on a true story, isn't it? It's um, it's inspired by tr- like the real events of the first military wives choirs that started up. I thought it felt like Calendar Girls. I thought we were in very yep. very familiar territory. Calendar Girls, uh, brassed off. You could tick off all the staples of the formula, and it's been played out so many times in films over the decades. And there's nothing in the film that makes you go, "Well, I didn't see that coming." But what it does have is charm, wit, heart, and characters that you immediately connect with and cannot help right. but get swept up with. Kristen Scott Thomas as Kate, who's the also proper wife of an officer who's never really come to terms with the loss of her son, who also served, plays against Sharon Horgan's Lisa with both their approaches to music coaching being very different. Kate is very, okay, one, two, three, one, two, three, I'll conduct you. While Lisa is, you know that beautiful South song? Let's sing that and just bash things out. The interplay between those two is what you're immediately drawn to. It's packed with bite and the occasional line-crossing moments of harsh truth between them, but it's never anything less than dynamic and engaging. Throw in support casts such as Jason Fleming as the base commander Crooks, who, whilst he doesn't get a lot to do, when he does it, it reminds you of how great a supporting actor that guy really is. And the rest of the cast who formed the choir including Emma, Emma Lowndes, Gabby French, Laura Rossi, and notably Amy James Kelly, who plays a scene of heartbreak hard enough to make some more dust land in my eye. And just thinking about the scene is making dust kind of flutter around. All the cast have a charm and engaging nature to them, and no moment on screen feels wasted. It's formulaic. You know what's going to be happening. But yeah. there's genuine belly laugh moments, and I genuinely cared for the lives that was going on. Because the important thing is not them becoming the singers and forming this choir. It's the underlying reasons why they need to find this distraction. It's the underlying worries and concerns that they have of their partners in a war zone that bonds them all together. And it's when you latch onto that part of the film, that's when you get drawn into the whole thing. It's, it's worth seeing. I thoroughly expected to hate every minute of it. I expected this to be like a, right... Pfft, Everything that I watch from now on is going to be so much better than this. But no, this this was a film that really delivered. Okay. No, that's a, that's a good enough recommendation uh, for me. Do you want to go next or shall I? Well, I'll tell you one reason why possibly this film like, was, was better <laughs> know, yeah. than what I expected. Uh, and that might be because my expectations of films had been lowered so much because I watched Holmes and Watson. Now, why is the first <laughs> to mind, Andy. I didn't make you. It wasn't part of the. Uh, it wasn't part of the challenge. I mean, I've got a fondness. I've got a fondness for Will Ferrell, although I don't quite share the love for Step Brothers that everyone else seems to have. Loads either. of people tell me it's one of the funniest films ever made, and I was like, was it? But yeah, still, yeah. usually his films get at least a chuckle out of me. Here, however, it's just a car crash of a film. You know, when a film is reported to be really, 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 really bad. And you kind of convince yourself that it surely can't be as bad as everyone's saying it is. And so you give it a shot thinking, if I laugh twice, that'll be okay. Well, I didn't even laugh once. This is one of those films that genuinely is really, 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 really bad. We'll ignore the weird anachronisms for a second, such as Queen Victoria is around when the Titanic is set in sail. Really? 
Um, okay. You get the feeling watching this that the cast had a great time making it, but sadly forgot to switch the cameras on for any of that fun time and just caught the bits where they were horsing around and not making any sense. And it's summed up, and I summed up my letterbox review with this. At one point in the film, Watson cries out, horse shit for sale. And I thought, well, that's a marketing tagline for this film. <laughs> yeah, you'd have seen that across the poster. <laughs> Absolutely awful. Avoid well, like the plague. I will. I will on that recommendation. Mine was disappointing with a, with a sense of expecting more from it. And that's the recent release of, of The Witches by Robert Zemeckis. Witches, they're real. And they hate children. Grandma, is that you, boy? Oh, Lord. She's going to turn every kid into a mouse. This sounds like a very dangerous mission. I can handle it. Exterminate those rats. Uh, rats. We would exterminate the rats. The Walt Dolls, The Witches, directed by Robert Zemeckis. Now, this was supposed to go to a cinema release. Uh, it, it got picked up for uh, video on demand. Um, so if you've seen The Witches, the uh, Nicholas Rogue version, the story's not that unchanged. So an unnamed Alabama orphan arrives at a luxury seafront hotel with his grandma, played wonderfully by Octavia Spencer, who uh, is, is just the right amount of charming and and, and lovable in that role and has much more to do than the, the grandmother in, in the Nicholas Rowe version. But of course they find themselves in the midst of a, of a coven led by the Grand High Witch, this time played by Anne Hathaway, who is planning to exterminate all of the children by turning them into mice. Directed by Robert Zemeckis, uh, scripted, co-scripted by Guillermo del Toro, you think expectations would would be would be high for it but it's very very meandering it does have those lovely Zemeckis touches um the cast are good and Hathaway uh overacts as as one would expect in this there are some nice little spooky moments to it there are some great visuals there's the Zemeckis touch of a, of a particular interesting car chase through snow but it just feels like a weak excuse, especially compared to to the uh, the, the Bournemouth set eighties uh, original, it just doesn't come together. Now I don't know what's happened to Zemeckis because when you think about his career with Back to the Future and and Roger Rabbit, and and even in sort of similar territory to the Bruce Willis uh, and Meryl Streep film Death Becomes Her, we know he can do Wicked and we know he can do Colourful. But it's just disappointing. It, it's colourful, yeah. Uh, it's, it's got some nice little humour, but it doesn't have that. It doesn't have that Roald Dahl feel that um, that Nicholas Rogue did to the the nineteen eighties. And no matter what, how good Anne Hathaway is, and she is good in it, she's nothing compared to the the Grand Witch that Angelica Houston played, and neither is she as scary. Uh, so ultimately. While it's a good-looking film and it's and it's whiz bang, it just feels as though it's lacking heart. Just disappointing. Uh, yeah, just ultimately disappointing. There's some nice touches. Um, Stanley Tucci's in it, and whatever Stanley Tucci does, he just brings something to it. So if you want Zip without much else, it's okay. But, but other than that, very disappointing. I think I'll just stick with the original. I think. I think you should. Um. On BBC, we also had the second small axe film from Steve McQueen, 
Um, this film is a short, just under 70 minutes. And it steps away from the focus on black oppression through the decades that the rest of the series is apparently going to be looking at and reminds us of the positive aspects of black culture. Uh, set in the early 80s, the film plays out during the events of a reggae party playing lovers rock theme music, which is a genre with slow rhythmic beats and heavy bass suggesting desire and passion. The focus is primarily on a new couple who meet and connect with some other guests coming and going around them. And more than anything, the film is just a celebration of how these house parties brought the communities together. And regardless of any grievances or tensions, the music unites everyone. It's a simple story of a night in the life of a young girl who sneaks out to a party and gets back home in time for church the next day. And the warm lensing and impactful music made it, made it an absolute delight of an entry that by the end of it, I not only wanted to watch it again, but I wanted to revisit my own youth of going to house parties. God, I miss house parties so much. Oh, it, it, it's if you've not seen this film, it, it, when you watch it, you'll see what I mean. The music and the atmosphere and the feel just remind you of all the joys of going round to someone's house and trashing it. I mean, going round to someone's house, having a few drinks. And just enjoying yourself with a whole bunch of people, some who you know, some who you don't, but you're just all bonding together. A great little film and yet another example of why the BBC have done a really good job of getting McQueen to make these little project films for them. Around on the rest of the streaming networks this coming week, we've got Last Christmas. Okay. This is the film that came out last Christmas. Yes. Uh, Emma Thompson penned it. It starred Amelia Clark, and it was inspired by George Michael's songs. Apparently, people who it. like Christmas films quite enjoy it. I'm not a lover of Christmas films, so I'll be avoiding it, but each to their own. On Netflix, though, we've got Hillbilly Elegy. I've heard good things on Ron Howard, wasn't it? Yes, and based on the novel by J.D. Vance. It follows a former Marine who's now a student at Yale, whose family suffers a crisis, and he's forced to return back to the home that he's been trying to put behind him. And he must confront the aspects of his past that he's been putting behind him, including a mother played by Amy Adams, who struggles with addiction. This has been on my list ever since I first heard about it. Well, I'm, I'm a big fan of Amy Adams, so I'm always, I'm always in on that on that score. You, ha you had me at Amy. You had me uh, on Amy Adams. And back to Christmas. Uh, last year, Christmas Chronicles scored well with people. I've not seen it, it but I've heard that it's um, actually... The kind of Christmas film that even if you're not a fan of Christmas films, you'll enjoy it. Well, it's got a sequel, Christmas Chronicles Part 2. I ain't seen the first, but maybe I'll get round to watching this at some point. All I know is it stars Kurt Russell as uh, Santa Claus. And I think Goldie Horn is in the sequel from what I've seen on the poster. But that's yes. all I'm going by. On Amazon, Uncle Frank is a Sundance hit, which stars Paul Bettany as a closeted gay man in the 70s who comes out to his family. And for those who like their big blockbusters, which had award nominations, there's A Star is Born will be landing this week, the Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper version, and Life of Pi, Ang Lee's majestic adaptation of Jan Martel's book. Whilst on BBC, check out their classic film section, and there's a wide range of treats in there, including, and just in time for Mank, Citizen Kane is available on there. You mentioned Mank, which I am really, really looking forward to. The big disappointment is we thought we'd get to see it in the cinemas, but we might you know, still. We might still, but looking forward to seeing it, no matter how I see it, whether it's on Netflix at home or get to see it on a big screen. And the final one of the streaming services roundup this week is comes from Shudder, and they've got another one of their exclusive 
comedy, black comedy horrors, Porno, which is the film okay. about five repressed cinema workers who find an old film reel and give it a test, only to find it awakens a sex demon. Based on a true story, I'm, I'm led to believe. but I'll, Happen, I'll Happens every that. night at a staff show. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like a, a black comic treat. Right. Uh, that that's landed, I believe, today. So that's that's what I'm watching later. I'd still I still not got Shudder, and I, I'm, I constantly think maybe I should just uh, I should give it a go and see how it lands. It's a good dive in and dive out. Subscribe for a month or two, blitz through everything that you're interested in, then leave it about six months, and there's usually enough new content by that point to get back into it. Okay, and that's it for the streaming news. Um, that's about it for this show. But of course, um, we'll be back next week. But before we go, we've got to talk about our neat things. And I'm about to break our neat things golden rule. But Andy, dun, dun, dun. Well, I'm breaking a rule as well, seems though you've already said that you're going to. I'm going to do two neat things. Oh, that is rule breaking. I didn't, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> My first one is that Animaniacs is back. Well, it is if you're in the USA. It's like all the oh, episodes have landed on Hulu. Love Animaniacs. And it's an absolute joy. Yes, they've got rid of some of the supporting mini cartoons with good feathers, etc. And it's basically focusing on the Animaniacs and Pink in the Brain. But straight away from the first episode, I was laughing, giggling and chuckling along. And in the first episode, there's two song and dance numbers. One of them, the reboot song, which is an absolute gem that sits alongside Countries of the World by Yakko. <laughs> but as that's not out in the UK yet, and I'll wait until it is before I go into more detail on Animaniacs. My other neat thing is a podcast that started up literally this week called The Daily Reel. Okay. Uh, you can find them. You can find them on Twitter at Daily Reel Pod. That's Real R E E L. And you can find their podcast by going to podfollow.com slash daily reel. And it's small daily bite-sized news roundups. Now, whilst initially this could be stepping on our toes. There's no opinions behind it. It's not, whereas we discuss around it and we we like share our own feelings and thoughts on it. This is a great little six minute grab each day of what's happening in the film world, just told as it is. And great, I'll give to, that a try. Suffice to say, at six minutes long each day, it's a nice little brushing your teeth, getting yourself ready for work. Have a listen to this, and by the time I step out of the shower, I think to myself. I need to make notes of that so we can talk about that next week. So this has become my <laughs> research for the podcast going forwards. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, well, as I said, I'm going to break some rules. I'm going to talk about a neat thing that is a previous neat thing, and that is uh, The Last of Us Part 2. mentioned it last week that I just started playing it. I'm still playing it, and boy, am I loving it. It's a hard, hard game to play. Not in the, in the sense of it, it's difficult from, from a playing point of view. It's the moral questions that, that arise from it about revenge, about what you lose to go on on, on the, the hunt to, to take somebody out and, and the sacrifices you make to your own soul. And as I've got deeper and deeper into the game, um, without giving anything away, the character of Ellie we grew and loved in the first Last of Us is, is, is on a revenge hunt and um, it, it's a heartbreaking, it's a heartbreaking game because you see this this terrible path that she's going on and, and sacrificing and losing her soul. And also what's what's interesting is the people that, that she, she slaughters and kills along the way 
are, are actually people. They're not just ciphers. They're people who, when you overhear their conversations, are talking about what they're going to do for dinner or how their partners are doing or how life's treating them. So these are, are throwaway characters who are going to meet a demise, but they are people who just happen to be on the wrong side of this story. Uh, and one thing we always know that, that, that makes a good villain is that they don't think that they're villains. They think they're the hero yeah. of their story. So the, these people who, are, who are, are being taken out by by the Ellie character don't see themselves as having done anything wrong. And there's this moral line that, that as the story unfolds, becomes more, more desperate and more haunting. It's a fantastic game. I can understand why, why, pe- why people were upset by it, because you have to question something in yourself that that makes you want to play this character and i hit a stage and hence why it's my neat thing where i thought the lead character was doing things that were abhorrent and unnecessary and that made me think about everything that's gone before and everything now that moving forward and that no matter what medium it is it's clever storytelling so for the second week running my neat thing is the last of us part two I'm hoping eventually that's going to get like because The Last of Us straight after not long after it had the PS3 release, then had its upgraded version for the PS4. I'm suspecting they'll be the same with The Last of Us Part Two at some point, and that's probably when I'll pick it up. Yeah, the remastered version of The Last of Us is is uh, is the definitive version of that of, of that game, uh, and 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 looks spectacular. And you know, talking about we did right at the top end of the program how PS3 changed. I remember playing The Last of Us and think and thought it looked amazing. Then got the remastered version, and um, you just saw how technology had changed in those those uh, few short years. And um, I'm sure that the um, the PS5 version will look luscious, but fantastic game, absolutely loving it. And that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. We love doing this, and hopefully you love listening. Anything planned for the next week, Andy? Well, um, just waiting for that little message to tell me when to be going back to work. All, all my fingers are crossed for you getting back into the cinema because um, that's where that's the best still the best place to enjoy films so we'll see you next week but before i go i've got great affection for you and you live a very rich and interesting life but you're a bad man not an attorney